This show is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, the Justice League of board game podcasts. Find out more at Dicetower.com. And welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 331. Hello, everybody. I am super stoked to be here. It's an odd-numbered episode. We get to have a guest on the show. This week, we have someone on the show that I could just like sit down and have a drink with and talk to for literally hours. I mean, it's been like half an hour already, and we finally hit record. So, <laughs> well, I know. That's true. That's true. But we have <laughs> Mike Giuliano on the show. How you doing, Mike? Doing well. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. I'm happy to be here and to see you guys again uh, on a different show this time. Yeah. So we yes. were on the full 42, which is Mike's show that he does with Katia Howitson of Board Game Art Creations. Did I get that yeah. right? All right. And Chris from I don't know what else Chris does. Chris is uh, with Cardboard Alchemy now. Okay. Uh, Designer uh, asking for troubles and other things that um, I may or may not talk about later. <laughs> we'll see fair enough <laughs> but also mike runs QsCon, which is our local convention even though it's seven hours away it's or not seven hours it's so like five it's five? like four and a half okay but <laughs> that goes to show you there's literally a convention in town next weekend but our local convention is four and a half hours away <laughs> in september and it is now <laughs> you guys are too kind it's a great show we had a absolute blast last time even though we didn't have the whole family whatever but um, we're this year, to this year again. Absolutely. I hope yes. so. Yes, definitely. And you also designed a pretty awesome board game and you work for a board game studio. There's a lot of Mike. We're going to talk all about Mike <laughs> second half of the show. First half of the show, we're just going to hang out and talk about a whole bunch of stuff like the games we've been playing. But first, Anitra has a fact. I have a fact this week. So I took over Andrew's duty of just frantically Googling for something that has I'm 331. about it. <laughs> But I did find something that I thought was interesting. The speed of sound at zero degrees Celsius or, you know, 32 degrees Fahrenheit for us Americans in dry air. Important. So speed of sound at freezing in dry air is about 331 meters per second. That is such a like weird random. How did you find that, by the way? Lots of Googling. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I did think it was really cool that on the same page where I found this out, I found out that the speed of sound in slightly above freezing water is like five times faster. It is faster in water? Yeah. What? The speed of sound in, I think it was eight degrees Celsius water is 1400 meters per second. Okay. First Whoa. of all, that's insane. Second of all, eight degrees Celsius is not slightly okay, above it's, freezing. Yes. <laughs> Cold water. That's still wild. That's crazy. Yeah, that's bonkers. And now that is some information that is stuck in my head, and it pushed more important information out. So now I'll be stuck with the 331. You'll forget to press the red button now. Well, that's the point of our uh, stupid facts in every episode. That that is a very old Married with Children reference. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) All right, well, Anitra took the fact, which means that I... I'm more than happy to take our sponsor message this week. Did you know right now is a great time to hit reset on your budget? The pandemic was weird, 
But with many of our favorite things being closed down, Americans were forced to change their spending habits. Now that things are open again, you have the opportunity to ask yourself if you're regular spending at that store or frequently visiting a certain restaurant is how you want to spend your money. While you're doing this, try to boost the savings you set aside each month, especially to create or refill your emergency fund. Having at least $1,000 set aside in a high-yield savings account will get you through many emergencies without adding debt to your credit cards. But ideally, you want at least three months of expenses set aside. That way, if you are furloughed or laid off or forced to retire or fired, or you just have a bad accident that puts you out of commission for a few months, you have the resources to get back on your feet. If you want to talk about how to set up a budget, set up a time to talk to First Move Financial by going to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers today. Thanks again to First Move Financial for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. All right. So this is the part in the show where we talk about what we've been playing. I promise that's what we talk about. <laughs> all right. All right. Mild conversation about how the sausage is made. This episode is probably going to be four times longer than what everybody is actually listening to. <laughs> that seems to follow me around. I was on board game rundown and that thing lasted over four hours and that was their longest. And you, you if you watch the full 42, you know, we can talk. Well, gosh, you're just so interesting, Mike. <laughs> Apparently people think so. I don't know why, but. <laughs> All right. Well, Anisha's right. It is time to talk about some games that we've been playing now. Now, Mike, on top of everything else that I mentioned that you do, you also run a weekly board game night. So surely you have some games that you've been playing recently. I try to. Sometimes I bring my son with me and it's a little harder because he's grabby. And then like this past Tuesday, I didn't. But it was just really cool to hang around and talk to people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So although it is weekly, it's it's not always uh, a game day for me. But yeah, we play every week. We play at a local brewery, uh, Bullfinch Brew Pub. I, I am not a craft beer fan. I do not like sours. I despise IPAs. Um, but Dave is the brewmaster there, and he's a friggin' wizard. Everything he's put in front of me, upside a pineapple upside down, rainbow sherbet, even his IPA. I do, I'm not a fan, but he is magical with his stuff so nice cool. good food good beer and then the people that hang out every week are great all right so what have you been playing lately you, you got to have some stuff on your list i do i got i got stuff on my table i'm always trying to learn something i try an average game a day of learning whether it's oh, a wow. friday night and i learn three of them to average it out or wow. something but wow. i try and i try and learn or watch a video or read a rule book to average out at least a game a day so i'm always i'm trying to keep current i'm trying to look at other stuff that maybe was under the radar from a few years ago. So I always have something on my table or something that I'm trying to learn. Wow. Cool. So I tried to learn Blue Banana, which is a Wolfgang Warsh game. I got it from Board Game Blitz. The rule book has, I think, nine languages. None of them are English. <laughs> oh, that's always fun. <laughs> yeah. So then I go to BGG and try to try and uh, someone surely has that. And they had an unofficial English translation that came in in the text whatever the program is for like notepad, whatever it came up in yeah, that. Yeah. And I couldn't read, it was white lettering on black background. I just couldn't do it. So, but it seemed pretty simple where you're trying to collect cards of the opposite colors. There's um, obviously a blue banana, but on the other side would be a yellow object because the true banana color is yellow. So something's on the other side is yellow. There's a, a color matching that's messing mm-hmm. with your brain. Cause you're looking at something and trying to figure out what's on the other side. Sure, seems really sure. cool. And Wolfgang Warsh is amazing. So. That was a kind fail this like week for the me. Stroop effect, kind of. What? It hints at the Stroop effect, yeah. Oh. 
There you go. Are you familiar with the Strupe effect? Nope. Okay, so that's like when you see a word and it says blue, but it's in like red. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's the Strupe effect. Like, it's oh, just this I thing didn't know what I mean. Well, the, your brain. the Strupe effect is when you are presented with something like that and your brain has to go through the, do I point to the word that is actually the color red or do I point to the word that says red? Gotcha. Yeah, so there's a game from Grand Gamers Guild, which is called Stroop, which is all about the Stroop effect. And oh, neat. A bunch of different ways that that gets expressed so you might have like the outlines of words and i, I don't remember what the, hollow it's not, is it hollow solid yeah. and hollow, solid yeah. and hollow. So, so there's solid and hollow there's big and little yeah which are you know capital letters or lowercase letters there and are several some, numbers which yep, are some numbers supposed to be the number of letters in the word mm-hmm. except of course none of those words in english have the same number of letters as the word they're in so like six is only three letters but three is five letters yeah yeah so five is four letters right and so the in the game you do it in both directions there's two rounds to the game one is where you have to put something down that matches one and then in the other round you have to match something i don't know i can't even like it hurts my brain to try to explain this game uh but it's a blast it's a ton of fun sounds good well anything mark mark puts out in uh grand gamers guild is great right garinto is amazing uh-huh. They have a good a good catalog of stuff. This was one of the first games they published, but he recently reissued it in a uh, much more friendly looking box, I think. And there's it a... it has a burning brain on it, <laughs> which is friendly, a there's a brain on fire on the front of the box. Like I well, don't know how friendly that is. Well, I mean, friendly to gamers. The old one definitely had the look of just like I threw some words on a box, and at least it's not all one color. And you yeah, know, it's so the kind of stuff I... you do when you're new at publishing. Sure. Okay, so back to Blue Banana. You're really <laughs> validating my decision to try to learn German. There you go. Yeah, you should definitely, because it's definitely in there. Yeah, well, everything's in German first, right? Yeah. Like, it's how it works. But I like, mean, isn't Wolfgang Warsh German? Probably. Name Warsh? certainly Warsh? sounds I mean, he might be like Polish. I, I don't know. Mm. No, there are not enough consonants in that name for him to be Polish. <laughs> I think he's in Australia. Well, I don't know if he's Australian, but I think he's yeah. in Australia. I guess with a name like Wolfgang. He's probably German. You're probably Could right. be. Yeah. Anyway. All right, Anitra, do you Moving want on. to go next? <laughs> I will go next with the only game I have played this week. Holy cow, have I played more games than you? Yes, you have. Yes! I have played exactly one game. It was earlier today. Before that, I had not played a, a game since week? the last time we, re- we recorded. Yes. Oh I feel like God. a bad husband. <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> how dare stay away from the trees, her? Andrew. Just stay away from the trees. I, I know, it must be the maple. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so the only game I have played this week was... Ecosystem Coral Reef. Ooh. I gathered all my children. I forced them to play it with me. Two out of three liked it, which I will count as a win. Was that the older two? Yes. And they liked it. One liked it. One didn't hate it. So Claire didn't hate it. Uh, Which definitely counts once you have teenagers. Well, Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was Claire. (laughs) Didn't hate it. Yes. Claire, who destroyed us all, was like, eh, it's all right. (laughs) So Ecosystem and Ecosystem Coral Reef are these games where it is simple mechanically, but it's one of those games where there are so many options that you stand there and stare at the cards and you're like, I don't know what to do. It's just a drafting game. You have a hand of cards, you take one, you put it down in your little tableau, and then you pass your hand of cards. <laughs> but the tableau you're building is an ecosystem. So in Ecosystem Coral Reef, it's all things in the ocean. There's coral, there's krill, there's plankton, but then there's also, you know, larger things like uh, clownfish and eels, and there's predators like sharks. And every single card in the game has a different scoring condition. So 
the basic idea with the krill is you just want to make a group of one, two, or three. You don't want to make a group bigger than three because it doesn't score you more points. So if you get a fourth krill, you want to start a new group somewhere. Plankton, you just want to have the most if you can. But a bunch of the other animals also cue off plankton. So like crabs will score you, I think it's two points for each plankton in their row. So there's all this kind of stuff. And like sharks want to be able to see in a straight line other prey and they give you points for that. That's the basic idea of the game. I mean, you have a hand of 10 cards, you draft and pass and draft and pass and draft and pass, and then you get a new hand of cards and you draft and pass in the other direction. And at the end, you have a tableau of 20 cards and it's time to score. So as with a lot of drafting games, there's not a ton of player interaction. It's mostly just what am I passing? What am I keeping? I like this. This is by Genius Games. So it's definitely got that really solid science educational component to it without being a stultifyingly boring game. (laughs) All right, so I have a couple of questions about this game. So number one, you talk about it being an educational game. I mean, I got the sense I, I was boiling maple syrup while you were playing this game. Yes, you are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Doing actual science. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, it was like chemistry. It was weird. But so I got the sense that like there were some scoring mechanics that kind of represented a little bit of like how the various species would feed or something like that or how they lived. But like what actually is educational about this game? Okay, well, so part of it is just being aware of all of the different kinds of animals that live in the ocean. Uh, um, I mean, oh, I, I'm, I'm not done. Okay. The cards fit into three basic categories, which are your producers, which are the plants and tiny animals like the krill. The uh, they weren't called consumers. They're like mid level stuff. That's like okay. your clownfish. The and then and then you the have the predators. Ecosystem. Okay. There are a couple of other cards that don't fit into any of those categories, like there are turtles and octopus, and both the turtles and the octopus kind of do their own thing and aren't related to the rest of the food web. But those three big categories, you want to balance how they score, because after you figure out the scoring for each individual thing, you subtotal each category, and then the smallest of those three numbers, your producers, your prey, or your predators, the smallest of those three numbers you get again as like a food web bonus. So you really want to balance it out well and not have like super high on producers and then no predators, because then you get two points twice. Instead of like what Claire did, which was to get 18 points twice. So that's where some of the educational stuff comes in. It is definitely much lighter than most genius games I've played. And so the educational component is much smaller. Okay. It's still a great piece that you can bring into a curriculum, right? Any one of those will work. And a lot of those are like genotypes heavier. Periodic is great for its, its purpose. But that's something that you can hook some people if it's easy enough, right? Like it remind, what you were saying about the draft 10 and then draft 10 is like Happy City. And I know you've talked about, I think you've talked about Happy City before, mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah. how simple it is to just get somebody hooked into the the idea of what that type of game does. And if you're bringing that into a classroom and it's in your subject, right, it's, it's talking about what you're learning in class at that time, that's educational in itself. I mean, and to be fair, this is not the first game I've seen that does this whole kind of like build an ecosystem and then score how you put it together. A couple of years ago, we reviewed this game called What in the Wild, which is actually put out by the Michigan Department of Natural Resources and is a surprisingly good game. Wow. (laughs) But ecosystem takes one aspect of that game that the Michigan DNR has and streamlines it and makes it a more gamery kind of game. And 
by extension, a slightly less educational game. But I mean, there's that balance of slightly less educational, but if it's the kind of game that you're ready to play over and over and over again, maybe that doesn't matter. Yeah, because your next topic, your next whatever you're doing in class could be going into periodic or going into genotype or going into whatever. And that could be the hook to start. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And this is a game that's like eight plus, I think. The scoring would take a little bit to get used to for an eight or nine year old, but it's not overwhelming the way a game like periodic or subatomic or genotype would be. Sure, yeah, sure. it really felt to me like kind of cross between Sushi Go and King Domino. Like the, the yeah. drafting mechanic was more Sushi Go than King Domino, even though King Domino does have a drafting mechanic. But just in terms of the construct of the take it, you know, take the yeah, cards, yeah, yeah. pass the cards, whatever. But then you're still building it out physically on the table, which is much more of a King Domino kind of thing as opposed to just like putting things in the sets that they belong to kind of thing. And, and that actually the way that you choose to build it out on the table matters because of the way that some of the animals relate to one another. Yeah, most of them are looking for things to either be adjacent to them or be in the same row or um, like the sharks and the turtles are looking in the same row and the same column. But like one of the interesting ones, which didn't matter for our game, was the eels. The eels are another predator. And so they score for like all of the prey that they can be adjacent to and touch. But only if they're also adjacent to a coral. If an eel is not adjacent to a coral, it scores zero. You're saying you're building your tableau. It's not just one straight line. No, it is a four by five grid. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. So you'll get into situations where you're trying to build certain things out, but you'll get the basically the animals in the wrong order. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I really wish I had this when I was over here and I had this connection and I could do this thing or that. Almost like framework in, in a way. Right? Like, <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Like, where you're like oh, I, I need the green guy to connect to the brown thing. Like, oh, that's cool. Yep. Oh, that's exactly. Cool. Exactly. Yeah. So a little, a little Taruba ish. A little yep. bit of that too. Yeah. Yep. But that actually brings me back to, again, the that might not sound super educational, but it's going to remind me that ocean-going eels really have this kind of symbiotic relationship with coral that they want to live in the coral and hide there so they can jump out at their prey. They're not like sharks just kind of cruising along. They hide and pounce. So it's stuff like that where it's built in. You can have the students do a correlation between the the, the creature in the game and why they chose to have it that way, right? So yeah. point the eel. Why do the eels score that way? Oh, because of this, that, and the other thing. That's yep. an interesting tie-in. Yeah, that's cool. John and the team at Genius, they do a really good job with that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, there's a lot of companies out yeah, there that do. kind of market their stuff as like pseudo-educational, but Genius Games always seems to just really nail it. I yeah. mean, I shouldn't say always. Usually. Usually. Yeah. Usually yeah. nails it. Anyway. We also kind of enjoyed Ion, which was a compound building drafting game. It was kind of fine. It felt like there was something missing to it. So mm. it's not that it wasn't a fun game, and it's not that it wasn't educational, because it was both of those, but there just wasn't quite enough something variety maybe i don't know but i don't know yeah so like that one wasn't a huge hit for us and that's okay it's still not a bad game sure sure all right well my games that i played this week were not at all educational but they were classics i got a chance to sit down with my 12 year old now you've met asher like so Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) he's a special kid like he really just has a brain for board games he loves them so he's been kind of leaning on me a little bit to play some of my favorites like you know dad i really i know you really like this game like you've talked about it a lot but we've never played it together so let's play this game so we sat down and we played a two-player game of 
Lords of Waterdeep. Classic. Did you play with the expansion? We did not. Only, I mean, we have it, but I told him, I was like, we're not going to play with the expansion, but the corruption mechanic is like the coolest freaking thing in board games. And if you don't think it's the coolest thing in board games, trust me, when it came out, it was the coolest <laughs> thing in board games. <laughs> right? So... Um, but you can play with the other one, too. The uh, under, Undermountain, Undermountain, whatever it's called. Yeah, Undermountain just makes the game longer. You know, yeah. it's just kind of more of the same. So I don't actually like playing with Undermountain because I feel like that game is long enough. You know, when people ask for recommendations on Lords of Waterdeep Online, I always say you need to buy Scoundrels of Skullport and never play without it. And now that Asher has played without it one time, we will never play without it again because it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we got to, I mean, I absolutely destroyed him, but he really enjoyed it. But, but he enjoyed himself, which oh, is yeah, yeah, the yeah. important like, part. It wasn't like dangling in, in his face or anything like that, but yeah. the score was 192 to 133. Oh, wow. That's a sound victory. That is a sound victory. But again, you know, like he's with learning the game and, you know, he talked a lot about how he really liked how it was this complex game that involved a lot of thought, but it didn't take too long because it was only like an hour. You know, I mean, that was back when games didn't feel full of themselves and (laughs) felt like they needed to take five hours. That's actually not true. But no, (laughs) no. But anyway, it it was not that bad. Yeah. So we we, I mean, we played Lords of Waterdeep and it was awesome. It was it was Lord's Water. I have Champions of Midgard on my shelf of opportunity. I've actually never played it. I'm going to throw you under the bus in this one. And sure. maybe maybe Chris will end up watching this or listening to this at some point. But have you played Asking for Troubles? No. <clears throat> Be honest. No, we no, have not. No. Okay, so, and I say this uh, and a lot of people... We've never been solicited for a review, which is why <laughs> we've never played it. Pretty much. <laughs> we'll, we'll get it to the table, uh, I, I'm sure, at some point. But I'll tell you, and I, I the reason Chris and I met through QScon, whatever, but I was a fan of that game before I knew Chris. Like when when that was first kickstarted under Kraken Games with uh-huh. him and Aaron. When I played that game, not only was it beautifully orange and I'm in Syracuse, which like orange is the Everything thing. Everything is orange. Yeah. Right. The game itself is really it's really cool the way that everything works. And it reminds me so much of Waterdeep, but it's more forgiving. Like when you go to the plinth and you got to, you know, someone needs that white cube, right? <laughs> and there's only one place to get the white cube unless the right buildings come out. You can really choke somebody out of a thing. Absolutely. In Troubles, you have a certain amount of ships. And when you don't have any more ships, your ships are your actions. When you don't have any more ships, you spend your turn to pull back your ships. That's your turn. But you can go someplace and bump someone's ship out to get the resources. Then they get a ship back, which means they don't have to pull their ships back. They have another action. Honestly, before I knew Chris, before the full 42, Troubles replaced Waterdeep for me, and I adored Waterdeep. I'm not a Dungeons & Dragons fan, so I wasn't really into the lore and the locations and all the little Easter eggs. Mm -hmm. The game was great, and I love it, and I'll play it anytime it hits the table. But Troubles replaced Waterdeep for me. It's that... It was sci-fi. It's got a ton of sci-fi references, so all the Star Wars references and okay, all those geeky okay. things you look for. The game is, and this is not because he's a co-host of mine. The game is fantastic. I mean, I'm game for it. Ha 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 ha. Oh, wow, wow. I mean, it's not a joke, but it's a joke. Sure. No, we'll play. We'll, we make sure we put it on our list because you Definitely. need to play that one. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Well, and you know, I hear the same thing about Midgard. I mean, I, I also hear people say like you have to play with the Valhalla expansion, which I don't have. Blah blah blah. Sure. So, I mean, that'll come to the table eventually. Asher is hugely into Greek mythology right now, which I feel like at some point is going to bleed into Norse mythology. I feel like that's a thing that just at some point, sure, people. So, in the meantime, it has led to eighty bajillion plays of Santorini. 
Nice. <laughs> Every true. possible combination of Greek gods. Right. And then, you know, he'll pull a, a god and be like, I'm going to be this god because here's 17,000 facts that you will never remember about this god. Like, that's <laughs> just how he is. It's amazing. <laughs> Well, there's a game that I'm involved in with a couple of friends of mine that has to do with something that Asher might be really interested in. So when we get uh, playtesting versions of it, uh, I might make a call. Do you think you'll have one by September? Maybe. <laughs> All right. We'll talk. We'll see. We'll talk. Great. Well, I, I hope that you'll return the favor. And if I my goal is to have my game playable this year. Cool. Well, QScon September 21st, so get it ready. So, oh, I know. I I was actually just looking at it today. If you had asked me when is QScon, I could have given you the date. So anyway, all right. So that's my first game uh, is Lords of Waterdeep. First, like he's got this whole list of stuff he's done and just showing us up in each other. This is awful. No, I only have two. So it's okay. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I can go again he, if you want. He outshines but... me because he has two and I have one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's pretty depressing. <laughs> but next weekend, we're going to be at Tantrum Con where we will be playing Play lots a of games. crap load of games. So it's going to be awesome. Well, and even this is the beginning of February break. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, you'll. I will set me. aside some of the other things I would normally do and just be like, hey, kids, play games with me. Okay, so uh, Mike, do you have anything else on your list that you've been playing recently that you want to talk about? All three W. Well, I learned Treelings. It, it was in the same order I got. It's from Pegasus Spiel. Reminds me a lot of. No, that's. Let me. I'll backtrack. It doesn't remind me a lot of, but it has one of the same mechanisms that Jaipur has, where when you're pulling from the market, you either take one of a thing or all of a thing. Mm-hmm. And basically, there's five or six tribes. It's all cards. Uh, they're different colors, and you're trying to build your your trees basically um and on your turn you pull from the market either one or all of a thing and add it to your trees uh your tableau but uh, one of each color and they're all growing but you score based on your tallest one and what's next to it it's got to always i don't know if one next to it is smaller you don't get any points for it but you're also uh the person to your left their rightmost tree affects your leftmost column and the person on your right, their leftmost tree affects your oh, right. Okay. Yep. One of those. Sure, sure, sure. Yep. You're looking at other people and what they're doing, and you're looking at the tableau, figuring out what you're pulling. Really clever. Um, and I think it's what I loved about Jaipur the most is that that market, the, like you can take all the camels, or you can take, you can swap out some stuff. It had that kind of calling to it. Mm. I haven't played it yet. Again, I learned it, but I think it's got that same kind of feel when you're choosing to pull from the market and what you're choosing based on game state, which I think sure. is really neat. Cool. Yeah. Asher and I played another one of the games. Another classic. I know that's on my list. Possibly the game I have the most blinged out, you think? Probably. Probably. Uh, Asher and I played Role Player. Oh, sick. Which is a game that I just love. Uh, we talked about it a few times on this show how Sagrada and Role Player are like kind of the same game. They seem, I mean, it's dice drafting into a set arrangement and like like a spatial puzzle yeah and so like other than the theming they should feel really similar and yet they don't and part of that is because sagrada has way more restrictions on when and how and where you can place stuff and once you place it there you don't have to think about it anymore and that appeals to anitra whereas the constant tweaking and adjusting and changing and min maxing maxing Oh. That appeals to me. So we own both <laughs> games, even though we, we we think that there's a ton of similarities between the two of them. Anitra loves Sagrada. I love role player. I have both expansions for role player, but we played base game again. Just it was Asher's first time playing. Yeah. We played base game role player and it was awesome. 
I will argue, uh, and not because I was with Floodgate for a while, but saying Sagrada and Role Player are similar is kind of like saying Bosque and Photosynthesis are similar. <laughs> but they're only similar in they have cardboard trees. Like I feel the dice drafting fine, but the feel that you get from Sagrada with the restrictions, with the tools, with the thinkiness is something I, I, I don't experience with role player, but the role player is a different type of, it's still drafting, but it's a different type of puzzle that presents different choices. I don't, but, I understand. Oh, I, that. I, I, I 100% I, yes, agree with that. I completely agree with that. But in role player and Sagrada, it's more than just a surface level of like, Oh, these look like they should be similar. You are grabbing dice out of a bag. You are rolling them. Everyone around the table is drafting them. Like there are different things you could do to affect the order you know, and you are placing them with a bunch of restrictions into this grid you have. Like that is a lot of similarities, yeah. and yet it, the two games could not feel days. more different from each right. other. Well, and and the cool thing about it is that the way that each game flexes, the directions in which they flex, correlates almost exactly to my interest versus Anitra's interest. <laughs> and so, like, it's almost become the meta joke with those two games. Yeah. Like, I, I mean. Anitra will play either one and I will play either one. It's not like I'm like, oh, Sagrada sucks. You know, it's not like that. But it's just it's really interesting to see that this game, like the Venn diagram of these two games and all of their mechanics are very like there's a lot more overlap than just cardboard trees. I mean, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, anyway, the point here is I love game. Either way, they're both great games. They're both excellent games. They're both fantastic games. But I don't own any Sagrada expansions other than the five and six player expansion. And I do own all of the expansion to role player, except for the big box. I don't own the big box. Well, and you didn't move on to like role player adventures or anything like that. either. I don't consider role play adventures to be an expansion. It's a different game that happens. Follow on, I I guess. Sequel. I mean, maybe you could call it a standalone expansion. Maybe, but I just, I just think it's a different game. It's like, sure. Okay. Well, here's a question. Do you consider the subsequent century games to be expansions? No, because it's more like that than it is an expansion. Okay, fair. So anyway, all right. Um, yeah, so that was my week, man. Like I played OG Lords of Waterdeep and OG Roleplayer. It was a pretty awesome week for me. You know what? It was the kind of week that I kind of needed because like work has been just beating me about the head and neck, and I just needed to like just like settle in back into myself like my own little fetal position of comfort games you know what i mean like macaroni and cheese and role player yeah man board board games are so great that way yeah they totally are they totally Mm -hmm. are Right, every box you open up there's a story just waiting for you like on my table one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven there's 12 games on my table right now every one of them including blue banana is a story waiting to be told i love it yeah i love it uh, I, I think at this point, take a, a quick break and we'll come back. We'll talk all about all the crazy things that Mike does. <laughs> awesome. Every single one. <laughs> <laughs> We're not restricted by time and this is a family show. So maybe not all of them. Hmm. Maybe not all of them. All right. We'll be right back. All right. Anisha, do you like it when our kids collect stuff when we're on nature walks? Um, not particularly, but feathers really bother me. Because did you know it's actually illegal to collect most kinds of feathers in the United States? 
I don't think anyone's going to come lock our kids up or anything <laughs> right. like that. But if your kids collect feathers like ours do, you might want to get them sanitized because birds have some weird diseases. Or you could just collect feathers at the board game table. <laughs> this is a snap review for Featherlight. Featherlight is a dynamic set collection game for one to four players that takes about 20 minutes to play. It's designed by Sabrina and Hanno von Konsen and published by WizKids with illustrations by Kira Yeager. Let's talk about those illustrations. There is a very silly looking bird on the box cover and on all the card backs. I guess it's based on the Putu bird, which really is goggle-eyed like this, <laughs> but not nearly so brightly colored. I kind of wish they didn't use it because it might make you overlook the game and the beautiful cards inside the box. The card fronts are gorgeous feathers in seven different styles. From flowing purple to angular green to skinny blue, they're all distinct and they're all beautiful. Each also has text at the bottom of the card that describes how it scores and cards in the same color score in similar ways. So, Anitra, how do we play Featherlight? A game starts with six cards arranged face-up in a rough circle on the table. This is the nest. Every player also gets a hand of five cards. On your turn, you take a card, either from a draw pile or from the nest. Then you discard a card from your hand into the nest. Then it's the next player's turn. The game ends when one of the two draw decks is empty at the end of anyone's turn. The real meat to Featherlight is in the scoring. After the game ends, all players reveal their hand of cards, and it's time to score. Some cards score specifically based on the feathers in your hand, but most are looking for a certain combination of colored feathers to be present between your hand and the nest. In other words, you have a total of 11 feathers, 5 in your hand and 6 in the nest, that can fulfill the 5 scoring conditions that are in your hand. Work through your hand cards one at a time, and record the score for each on the handy score pad. Did you have the most valuable feather collection? Alright, so Anisha, what did we expect from Featherlight? The beautiful feathers in this game immediately drew me in. From the rules and the name, it seemed like this would be a light, family-friendly kind of game. Dynamic set collection hand management games, like Fantasy Realms, can get really complicated really quickly. I hoped Featherlight would be manageable. It was hard to get our kids interested in playing, and I kind of get it. The feather thing didn't seem to hook them, and the Putu bird really turned them off. I really like Featherlight as a casual game for the adult crowd. Unless you have a budding ornithologist in your family, I just don't really see this one carrying the attention of the kids. And we should have expected that our kids would not be super interested in it because, as our daughter said, I don't like change. Not just in games. So, Anitra, what surprised us about Featherlight? It's not a heavy game, but nothing in it is silly except for the Putu bird art. Featherlight feels pretty controllable at two players. You have a lot more influence over the nest, and you can see pretty obviously, if there are goals that your opponent is going to try to block. At three or four players, there's more variation. The nest changes a lot more between turns, and that actually makes the high point goals really, really difficult. I was also surprised that there's a solo mode. 
you still build your hand and discard the nest, but now there's a random card that's added to the nest between each turn. Take the top card from the wind stack and examine the teeny tiny number and arrow in the bottom corner. According to the arrow, place this wind card on either the highest or lowest number that's currently in the nest. It felt like a good balance. I could kind of predict which nest card would get covered next, and then play into the nest to either encourage that or try to discourage it. I was surprised, given the mechanics here, just how much this game felt different from Fantasy Realms, which is a better-known hand management card game that's also published by WizKids. I think the addition of the nest and being able to cover up cards to make them inaccessible leads to deeper decisions and even some turn sequencing that you won't see in Fantasy Realms. So, Anisha, do we recommend Featherlight? Well, the box says that Featherlight is for ages 8+, plus, but like we said, both the theme and the goal balancing in this game lend themselves to an older audience, like 12 and up. I'd recommend Featherlight for couples or families with older kids who want a game that will engage your brain while staying light and fast. But if you don't like having to keep track of the cards in the nest, you might be better off playing a game like Fantasy Realms. Specifically for teens and adults, though, we're going to give Featherlight four feathers out of five. And that's Featherlight in in a a snap. Uh, we are here with Mike Giuliano, whose name I finally learned how to pronounce correctly. Yay, we did it. As a longtime New Yorker, you would think that a name that looks so much like Giuliani, I would not mess up. So I made this point when we were talking about this, because I also prefer to pronounce people's names right. I always thought <laughs> that G-I-U was soft G and G-U-I was hard G. Like, I thought that was the thing, but apparently that's not true. And it I depends just... on what language you're looking at, I think. Sure. Well, they're both Italian, aren't they? Uh, Portuguese, I think, has the same. Oh, well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, anyway, what's up, Mike? How you doing? <laughs> I'm just going to go with Mike. <laughs> yeah, so the name, it should be in, in Italy. My ancestors in Italy are G-I-U. But when my great-grandfather came over, uh, whoever was signing the name on the document, when you think of a cursive, if people remember cursive, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when you do the G and the U and the I, it's just three swipes. Oh, up. Yeah. And when yeah. they dotted, they just dotted a little bit over. So it ends up the direct ancestors of ours are G-U-I-G because that dot just happened to be a little bit over on the paper. But our ancestors in Italy are G-I-U-G. Well, so. see, that, ex- that lends see? credence to my theory. There you go. Yeah. It's actually it's, G-U-I is G-U-I. Yeah. Okay. And then G-L-I is a Y sound, if you want to get technical. Well, listen, I'm learning German, not Italian. Okay. <laughs> about German first, not Italian. All I know about Italian is that they try to put uh, too many syllables uh, on a note when you're singing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Andrew shared something about birthday present in German, and that last word was not... <laughs> I don't even know how it was like every letter in the alphabet was like, we're just going to make that this word. Yeah. Okay. So I am learning German in Duolingo, but here's the word. Uh, by the way, this word translates to the perfect birthday gift. Ooh, one word for that, huh? <laughs> Gebert Stogsgeschenk. Okay. One word. Gebert Stogsgeschenk. Okay. Yeah. That's one word, no spaces. Correct. Yeah. Gebert Stogsgeschenk. Wow. 
G S G E S. I sure. Yep, that's some hot garbage right there. <laughs> so anyway, I'm trying my best to learn German. That was easily the worst word I've seen so far. But I've also heard so that far. Like, with German, like so you can just slap things on the sides of words to yes. like make them. I, I mean, you can in English too, to some extent. That's how you get words like anti-disestablishmentarianism. Yeah, right? I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I just like telling people things like kartoffeln is potato or krankenwagen is ambulance. You know, stuff like that. That's fun. <laughs> it sounds made up, but it's real. It is totally real. Krankenwagen. Those words are real. Yep. Yeah. Krankenwagen and krankenhaus is hospital. Makes sense. Oh, yeah. It I mean, does make at sense. least German yeah. makes sense. It Unlike English. Does. And as nope. someone who took romance languages in high school, the thing about German that always messes with my head is that German sentence construct is way more like English. Or mm-hmm. it's just probably the other way around. English is more like, German more like German in construct than it is like romance languages, even though it borrows a lot of actual words from romance languages. That's so many words. So that's kind of a weird yeah. thing, too. But like when you try to learn German, sometimes it's confusing because certain words sound a lot like English words and certain words are nothing like Nothing like words. it at all. Like, Brother yep. is Bruder, but umbrella is Regenschirm. Sure, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so anyway. My background is English education. My master's is in literacy, uh, fifth grade and up. And when I was studying at SU, could you tell me what the, at this time, this was 2009, I guess, what the hardest language is to learn? Modern, like main language. What would you rank as the hardest to learn? I feel um, like you're going to say that it's English, but I feel like it's Japanese or Chinese. Well, I was going to say, if you're an English speaker, the answer is Chinese. But for everybody else, it's English. So it's Russian. Really? <laughs> We're both wrong. And then Chinese, Japanese, because everything is memorization with all the strokes. And then the yeah. third hardest is English, because we break every rule that we put out there. Yes. <laughs> yes, we do. There's your fun fact. You gave us a 331 earlier. And this is dated. I, it could have changed by now, because... Of when yeah, I went to school. Yeah, yeah. At the time, Russian, Chinese, Japanese, and English was the third hardest. Well, I, I love this part of the show because everybody here has now seen how impossible <laughs> it is to stay on topic with you. <laughs> <laughs> topic? What's that? I enjoy talking. Yeah. That's why, like I said, a Tuesday when I went to Tuesday, I didn't even play a game. I just talked to people. You are so darn engaging, sir. Aww. But anyway, all right. So let's talk about some of the stuff you do. So let's talk sure. about QScon. Sell me on QScon. I mean, you're. Game, I mean, but... we are sold on QScon, yes. but sell our listeners. Sell our on... listeners because it's yet another place where they can see us. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, it, it, I'm I'm humbled that you guys consider it your local. So it started, it was just on a whim. Started getting into the board game hobby and I loved it. We were meeting up. I tried to do a regular meetup kind of thing. And then someone was like, yeah, it sucked. Like I got into the con scene volunteering with a couple companies and I loved it. And then someone was like, yeah, there should be one here. And like, well, yeah, why not? Why isn't there one? And then uh, just started the ball rolling from that. Talked to who now is a friend, Jason, who runs the the local shop. And he's like, well, me and my friend did something at this place. You should go talk to them. They were really convenient and open to stuff. And I went and talked to them and came up with a date and started a Facebook page and started talking to people around the area. And at that point, we had a few people meeting every Tuesday to play games. So word of mouth spread. And uh, the first one was in 2019. That's a perfect time to start a board game convention. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Everything was great. It went super well. At the same time, uh, I reconnected with one of the English teachers at the high school in my district who ran, when I knew him 10 years prior, 
he ran a comic book class in English education um, with graphic novels and comics. And it, it just blew my mind that that existed because that would never have existed when I was in high school. Same. And then we reconnected. I didn't know the regents allowed for things like that. Crazy <laughs> stuff that they've, they've been able to do. And it was it's brilliant. And the game design curriculum that we started also shows this. But I had the Batman game came out and we reconnected and he's a huge Batman fan. So we played the Batman game at one of the Tuesdays and uh, 2019, we started the game design curriculum as well in the 10th grade high school classroom. So 2019 started the game design curriculum and the first year of QSCon and it went super well and everything was going super great. And then St. Patrick's day of 2020, everything kind of shut down right when the ball was rolling. Mm -hmm. We kept it going every Tuesday. We had a live stream. I use zoom, this new thing that happened when uh, COVID struck, everybody found zoom um, yep. So I had different people from different companies uh, talking about their Kickstarters or talking about their games or whatever. So that happened during the shutdown. But yeah, QSCon, before the shutdown, we were averaging about 40 people every Tuesday. It went really well. It's been growing this gamer community in this area from before QSCon started. But when, when we started doing the two, every Tuesday thing, it's really, it's made an impact from not only the people that I see on a regular basis, but from people that kind of step in every now and then and your paths cross and you know when you have when you have people in the industry like yourselves that are like you're doing something good keep doing it it's humbling and it's important because board games it's an amazing hobby that i'm lucky enough to dance in but what it brings to tables right we were talking about a little before like you have a bad day or whatever but you get to the table and you kind of forget a lot of that stuff right you live in this in this creative in this fantasy and things kind of go away for a little while and it brings people together from wherever they happen to be. When we meet on Tuesday, whatever happened over the weekend, whatever happened on your Monday, when you get together on a Tuesday, you see 40 people hanging out at this local brewery and they're just smiling and having fun and engaging in a game and moving components around on a table that literally mean nothing, but you're adding all of this narrative to. It's pretty cool to sit back and watch. I remember in 2019, uh, I was moving from the registration desk up to do the trivia. A trivia or one of the panels, I forget who it was. And uh, walking the ballroom or walking like on the right with the ballroom and the atrium. Uh, you guys are familiar with where the atrium was in the ballroom in the, in the other hotel. Yes. And I'm just looking at all these people on a, on a Friday night that were just together because of something that I decided to do. And it was like, that's pretty cool because no one knew each other. There were people gaming at tables that didn't know each other that just yeah. met at QSCon or right. met at a Tuesday a couple weeks before. I'm like, this is I want to do more of this. It's a really cool hobby. It really grabbed me from the beginning. So to be able to to do this and bring something like that to this community is. Uh, it's just it's cool. <laughs> I'm lucky. I'm really lucky. Yeah, I really there is something special about board games, right? Because one of the things that's really cool about board games is when you sit down at a table, power dynamics are gone, right? Like our world is all about power dynamics, whether you're talking about like a racial thing or, or a sexism thing or whatever, or even like you have a board game group like at lunch at work and mm -hmm. you your boss comes to the board game group. And it's like, yeah, he's still your boss, but like you play that game and you are equal, right? So you can crush him. Yep. Yeah, yeah, but like the power dynamic <laughs> in the game is the outside world, like real yeah. world power dynamic is gone. It doesn't matter whether, you know, you could be a 12 year old playing against the creator of a game yeah. and you can beat them. 
he was eight at the time. He did that, uh, <laughs> you know, or you can be a, a, a student playing against a teacher or anything like the power dynamic outside of the context of the game doesn't matter. But when you get into the game, it's all equal. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. It, you're right that it's incredible that no matter what's going on, you can sit down and you can paste this narrative onto this event that's happening. Mm-hmm. And the most important part of the event isn't even what's going on on the table, right? Like that's the substrate yeah. for the social engagement yeah. around it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I totally agree with you. The board games are incredibly powerful. And I, I think that you, you hit a thing at the right time in the right place for QsCon to like instantly become a successful thing. And I, I, I don't know the details of, you know, maybe it's not actually like, solvent i have no idea but i mean it's it's a it's a great event and you know when i was sitting there on i think it was like it must have been friday i must have, i must have been there on friday you know hosting the kids section in the in the kitchen or whatever it was breakfast <laughs> but, area yeah yeah it was so cool because not only was there this convention going on but like you had like a field trip from yeah. school and the kids that were in high school got to sit and talk to you and Danielle Reynolds and a couple other people about game design. Yeah. And when I was sitting there, cause there were zero exactly. Um, let me add one, carry the four zero children <laughs> in the family game section at that time. Cause they were on school. I mean, it's fine. So I, I just kind of sat there and took things in and it was just yeah. really amazing to see that the QsCon environment was a very holistic one. It was, yeah. it was not just, we're going to sit here and play games, which is fine. Yeah. It's, it's a fine thing, but like there's so much going on that just like the culture of gaming just bled out of everything at the convention. I think that was what really pushed me instantly over the edge of like, we are going to just go to this convention every year because awesome. it's not just, Oh, yeah, you it's are like, so much better at articulating that than me but i definitely felt the same thing the year before when i was able to go to QsCon, and it just like everything that i love about gaming people being able to sit down with strangers learn new games be like oh hey have you seen this one because if you haven't you really should try it in addition to being just as welcoming to kids and stuff and like the matchbox car racing the hot wheels and all of that and that was yet another environment where kids and adults could be on equal footing be like well i got my car you know and let's <laughs> and let's see how we do with there's nothing you can do to control it Mm-mm. and watching those kids be like yeah i got yeah, it at the finals from last year right you had or last year the year i think it was the year you were there anitra we had um Lance Meister, right? Un- yes. Undead Viking was there. And he made it to the finals against some kid and the kid beat him. And he was like this. Yes. He was like the heel in a wrestling match that just yes. really <laughs> leaned into it so hard. He it was carried great. himself so well through all that. It was awesome. Yeah. And that's the other thing is like the vibe will not be denied. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> the number of times I went around to the various vendors and I was like, I'm so sorry if my son is being a little, you know, like clingy and like i want to see everything and touch everything and they're like no man it's cool he's into yeah. it and it's great and it's just like it was really cool it's really so the kids that were there for their field trip that was the game design course from the high school so there's there were three sections about 60 kids and the first year we did it in, in 2019 the panel of people included a bunch of designers again i'm very lucky to be where i am and to be able to know all of the people that that i know which is still surreal to me to think about what's happened with uh, the Batman game and calling Richard a friend and having people 
come to Syracuse for this thing that I put together. But they came in on that Friday and we had a panel of, I think it was the most that I had. I think there were 14 people there. Jonathan Gilmore was there, DeVito and, and Dave Rodriguez from 3WS, who I work for. David Rodriguez, is he's worked on things you don't even understand, like Diablo 2 he's worked on. He's working on Diablo 4 now. He works in Blizzard. Like There were some big names that were on that. Danielle Reynolds was another one. One of the local uh, DPH games, Dan, like he was there. David Diaz, who did Facilis, was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel Rocky. To be able to name drop those people, they all took time aside to sit on a Friday and talk to 14 and 15-year-olds about game design. Uh, I remember the first year... Alan Moon, who used to live in Syracuse, he's now moved just recently. The kids were prepped, right? They were told, like, these are the people that are going to be there. Do your homework. Don't look like an idiot. And they came into the panel with, like, non-yes or no questions so they can engage in conversation. And one of the students targeted Alan and said, with all the success of Ticket to Ride, like, how do you keep yourself grounded? And it was a genuine question. They just... It wasn't like one of those, like, I want to get a checkbox for my teacher kind of thing. It was like a genuine, like, they just wanted to know, like, because Ticket to Ride, what, I think they'd crossed 11 million. So in 2019, they were probably only at 10 million. So you saw kind of Alan, like, giggle a little bit. And he looked down, he looked up. And his answer had to do with the ability to, like, take private jets instead of taking regular planes. And Keith and I locked eyes like, you've got to be kidding me. How is this even like literally a question about grounding with how he can afford like the success of his game can afford these things. And you saw the kids like sit up like, wait a minute, board games can do that kind of thing. And they were just straight baller. Like they were like, this is awesome. And it was one of those (laughs) moments that you couldn't have scripted that you were like, what just happened? And it made such an impact on those kids. It was awesome. It was so cool to watch. And it's, it's been really, with QsCon, the success of it, not only as, as, a, as a convention, and it's still young and it's still growing, but to be able to, to meet every Tuesday and have it consistent and to be able to help a local business like Bullfinch. They're, they just recently opened spring of last year, I believe, and we, we've been there every Tuesday bringing in anywhere from 30 to 40 people, gathering on the patio, supporting local breweries, supporting local businesses. That's also spilled into the game design group that we do on Sunday. So we have a game designers guild, a QSCON game designers guild that meets every Sunday at the local shop. Not only do I get to use it for the stuff I develop and design, but other local in the industry, local designers in the industry that are looking to get their game in front of some people to break it. Like, give me some feedback. It's been growing ever since. And it's still a dream to be able to play not only from the professional side as a career, but to take what is my hobby and play in that world, it's pretty special. As you were talking, I was thinking about what other games hit that level. And I feel like maybe Matt Leacock, Klaus Teuber. Sure. Alan Moon. I guess your Kinesia. Well, and then you got your your Kinesia and yeah. your... Um, but that's it. Like, I think Lanius can go up there. Wolfgang Warsh is another one. Um, Philip Phil Walker-Harding. Yeah, Phil Walker-Harding. Walker but I, but those, those games, I don't think, have hit the cultural zeitgeist the way that like a Catan or like a mm-hmm. Ride has. Yeah. You know, I mean, true, true. I mean, 
Like Kinesia in particular, like well, the man has released <laughs> a, a ridiculous number of games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think outside of the board game community, none of them are actually well known. Very few. I mean, there's there's probably a couple like is loot is loot Kinesia? Loot yeah. is Kinesia. Yeah. yeah, that like something like that might Well, a lot of his get re-themed too, right? Like yeah, you yeah, might not sure know it, true. but when you start playing it, you're like, Oh, this was that other game about this other thing that's just new and Yep. yep. Yeah. Oh yeah. Anyway. But yeah, that's that's cool pretty wild it's pretty neat it really is 11 million copies of a game that's pretty you imagine yeah i remember the first time i I went to his apartment to play games bobby who's a friend invited me over and i walk in and i don't know what to expect right i I know the guy he came to qscon like i know him but i didn't know what to expect when i walked in sure and on his bookshelf are his two spiels like just wooden (laughs) meeple looking things and i'm what right yeah. to a board gamer holy like those are amazing but yeah. they just look like bookends on a shelf like it, <laughs> just and on, on a table in front of it is one of the newer expansions for ticket to ride that he was play testing and i'm looking at it going all right that's cool and then we go and we play a couple games and we break for lunch and bobby and i go to pick up lunch and i'm like bobby i've never played ticket to ride and he's like, you're in Alan's apartment and you've never played Ticket to Ride? <laughs> I'm like, he's going to want me to play, like, we're going to play test his the upcoming map. I've never played the man's game. Like, so he gave me like a quick rundown. It's, it's not a complicated game. Like, right. No, it's not. It's so funny, though. And he taught me it, but it was pretty. Now I want to know which, which expansion you were play testing. Do you remember? I, I, it was Japan. Okay. With the bullet trains? Yeah. Okay, cool. I've played most of them. <laughs> they're good. They're, I like the, the small box ones, right? The Amsterdam and the yeah. London. Like, they're good. I, New York, yeah, yeah. That, the only one we own is New York. The only sure. one we own anymore. Anymore. Is anymore, New York. Anymore. The London one was good. I like what they did with the double-decker bus. Like, every one of them has a little... Like, it's still Ticket to Ride, but every one of them gives it a little bit of a difference. And I think that's kind of clever, too. Yeah. I yeah, agree. I mean, I really enjoyed Pennsylvania. I really enjoyed Rails and Sales. I thought Rails and Sales was cool. Part of Africa was really interesting. Do you remember that one? Uh, sure I that do. We played that friend. one twice, I think, yeah, with our friends. We have a friend who has literally all of them. Nice. And, and so we don't need to own one. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. You know, every, if you get the itch, just pull out New York. It's 20 minutes. You're done. Yeah. You're all set. Yeah, they're or all you good. Can bang through a game in 15 minutes on the iPad. You're all set. So, you can well, do that that's too. so, I mean, we talk about our daughter not really being a gamer, but that's one of her preferred activities is pull out the iPad and play a solo game of Ticket to Ride. So doing something right. That's a good one. Lords of Waterdeep is also good on the iPad. You know, when they remade it, I don't like the remake as much as the first version. Oh, I haven't played it since they remade it. Yeah, they changed the camera. It's weird. I don't know. All right. Anyway. All right, so let's talk about some other stuff. So what else do you do? Uh, 3WS, you want to talk about 3WS? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, 3WS, Third World Studios. They are, I guess, more well-known for their 2008 uh, New York Times bestselling graphic novel, The Stuff of Legend. Okay, yep, yep. One of the co-authors, Mike Raich, is local, uh, about a half hour away from Syracuse, which I did not know at the time. Beautiful, beautiful art by Charles. Great story, if you know the story. If you don't, it's kind of a dark toy story where the boy gets kidnapped by the boogeyman and taken into the dark, and his loyal toys decide they have to go save him. But throughout the story, betrayal happens and the boogeyman is uh, an interesting character. It's five volumes now. Uh, They're tying it up with six, which they're working on. So I first 
I got in touch with 3WS in a weird way. The local, Jason, the local guy that I told you about runs the shop. Before COVID happened, he brought a game to one of the Tuesday meetups. And it was the Stuff of Legend, the board game, which is designed by uh, Kevin Wilson. It's on a ship getting ready to uh, be fulfilled from its Kickstarter in October of 21. So he brought this prototype and we're playing it. And I loved it. I love it. It had a hidden betrayer, but it was shifting. Like you could actually manipulate where that trader was going. It was cooperative to a point. You're all moving as a group. The game is brilliant. Um, so we played it prior to COVID and uh, loved it. I loved it. COVID happened. I heard nothing. And then in 2021, I saw a post about it. DeVito had posted under Third World that said, Kickstarter is coming up in, in the fall, like we're gearing up for it. And I just made a comment, like I got to play this game on a QSCON Tuesday. Game was great. Loved it. Promoting it, but not for any other reason than this game is good. You should go like just support. And he reached out and he's like, dude, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. And I'm like, I mean it. Like, I don't know you from anybody. I know that the local guy had a copy of it. We played it and I really did like it. And then Mike and I started talking and, and we had some common uh, interests. He grew up in Ocean City. I've been frequently, uh, Ocean City, Maryland, the better one. Sorry, Jersey. <laughs> the family has been frequenting that as a, as a vacation spot since I was a sophomore in high school. So we've been there for a minute and we just started talking and the Kickstarter was happening and he's like, would you, you have time to help out? So I joined them for the Kickstarter of uh, the Stuff of Legend. And then you know how you find your tribe, right? You find your people. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. It's him, his his cousin Kenny and Dave are, are 3WS. And then they brought me along for the ride. And I'm very happy and honored to be part of that team because they have an unbelievable web of stuff that they're casting out, not only in the board game industry, but if you watched Chicken Hair on Netflix and the hamster of darkness, it was number one for a while, number two uh, overall, number one in kids. Um, it's based on a, a graphic novel they own by Chris Grine, who is also another stellar individual. They have animated stuff, they have graphic novels, they have prose novels, the board games, which I'm the manager of game development now, which again, is stupid and surreal. But they have a lot of stuff on the fire that's this year is really gonna really gonna show what they're capable of. They have an unbelievable amount of stuff. We have an unbelievable amount of stuff. I guess I can say that. It really is amazing. I want to say more and I can't, but there was some stuff going on that in the next couple of weeks could really just change things. So cool. And they're good people. I like hearing stuff like that. I'm pretty excited. <laughs> yeah. I kind of like that dark take on, you know, a story that we've already all heard and seen. So it's Oh, it's great. And Kevin, so the I guess, you know, COVID sucks and it, nothing about it is good. But when it happened and they were planning for the Kickstarter. They pulled it because they didn't want to, it just wasn't good timing. So Kevin, the unbelievable designer that he is, had the opportunity to take that time and bake the game even more. So in 2021, when they decided to, when the Kickstarter launched, Kevin had more time to work on it and make it not only speak to the graphic novels even more, but make sure everything was like really, really well done. And he nailed it. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what else do you do, man? What don't? Because that's do? not enough. Uh, well, we haven't actually talked about the full forty-two yet, except in passing to say that you talk a lot. Yeah, yeah, that does happen. Yeah, so uh, the full forty-two came out of QSCON, actually. So QSCON's a thing, right? Uh, September is is the the main event. There's the every Tuesday. There's the Sunday thing, and then like this weekend, we have a garage sale at the local shop that uh, them and I kind of we put together. 
a board game garage sale on Saturday and then a game day on Sunday. So there's a ton of stuff throughout the year that QCon's involved in. And when COVID happened, to keep some sort of semblance to uh, life, we couldn't meet on the Tuesdays anymore. So I did I did it digitally. Instead of playing games, I reached out to people in the industry and said, hey, I do this thing. Do you want to come on and talk about your company or your Kickstarter or whatever it was? So that was going off for a while. And then Chris Strain, one of my co-hosts, was gearing up for his Kickstarter for the expansions of Asking for Troubles. And I loved it, as I talked about earlier. And I loved the game. And I said, hey, I do this thing. You want to come on and talk about it? And he's like, yeah. Never met the guy. Never talked to him before. No clue who he was. Saw some posts about him being a Star Wars fan, which I guess he is. <laughs> right? So he comes on the show. We talk about Troubles. We talk about whatever. And as I do, I reached out afterwards. and said, hey, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. Because we ended up talking about Star Wars and geeky stuff, not only like his game, but like we noticed that there was more in common than just, hey, you got a really cool game I like. So I reached out and I said, thanks. And he's like, yeah, I can I could talk about that stuff all day. And I just responded with, yeah, I could too. Why? Why don't we? And then the next couple conversations was like, well, why don't we do a, a show? We could actually talk about stuff. We started that the end of January two years ago um, was our first show. And we did that for a little while. And at the same time that the show started, I had become friends with Katia. Because if you don't know about her art, go look up her art. She does the the mosaics with the game pieces, not to knock digital, but like it's physical. Like she actually does the like with the pieces. So I had just met her and I was a fan of her art before I, I had even talked to her. And then she had become a guest a couple times on the show and just created a, a better dynamic overall. So she ended up becoming a full-time co-host of the show as well. We're coming up on her hundredth episode, I think is in a couple months. So she's been on it for a minute and yeah, that all just came from me sending out a little message that said, Hey, I do a thing for QScon. A couple episodes in, even my mom was like, how long have you known Chris? And I'm like, two months. And she's like, really? <laughs> we talk with like, there's so much in common and sure. it's just like a natural mm-hmm. kind of conversation that it just fired on all cylinders. So I just really can't believe that Mike that. has natural conversations with people. What? Really to- right? Who knew? <laughs> well, you start talking about stuff that you're interested in, right? Like, so part of my literacy program, you had to help students catch up in their reading deficiency. And I had a student that was in sixth grade reading at a fourth grade level. And in the getting to know you process, found that he liked Halo. The yeah, yeah absolutely. Game. And I... I adored halo i've lost hours years of my life playing that game <laughs> so we connected and we talked about the games and whatever and at the time they were coming out with the prequel reach which followed the fall of reach and there was a novel about that so i talked to the father i was like look like he has an interest in this there's a novel coming out do you mind if i use it it's a mature rated game so i wanted to make sure the parent was okay with it and he's like yeah, absolutely he loves halo so we started reading it. And I'm like, all right, do me a favor. Like, I won't see you for a week. Like, read the first two chapters. And we met for the first time and talked about that book. And he, he was on it from the start. Could talk about the setting, the characters, the ships. Like, because it was on interest level to him, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he was right there with me the whole way. Yep. Now, this was a kid given to me, sixth grade, reading at a fourth grade level. The novel was 11th grade reading. 
Like when you did the whole lexicon thing and yeah, you plugged yeah, yeah. Google, all, of the, all of the metrics on it. Yeah. The only thing he had a problem with was like some of the name, like the Nebuchadnezzar was an, was one of the ships. Like he had sure. a hard time pronouncing that. But otherwise, I know like, adults who can't pronounce that when they see it spelled sure, out. Sure. I use that for, for the reason, like when you start talking about something to someone who's interested in that topic, they'll talk about it forever. Yeah. Absolutely. So you bring up Star Wars, you bring up anything board game related, uh, whether it's mechanism or design or development and the line between design and development. I'll talk about that for hours. Yeah. yeah. I'll use that as an opportunity to talk about our last topic, which is another shared interest that we have, which is Batman. Oh, yeah. So talk a little bit about, as it has been referred to on this show, the Batman game. The Batman. I said it earlier, like I'm. I'm it's still surreal for... And I, I talk about it, and obviously I talk a lot, but it doesn't get any different when I talk about it. It's still a surreal experience to think about how where I am right now with all the things that are going on with 3WS, with QScon, with having game designs. Like I just signed another one last week. Like it's still wild for me to think about being asked to come on shows to talk about this stuff. <laughs> uh, coming out of school, I started my own tutoring center, uh, which is weird because the only way the tutoring center survived is if kids failed, which is not a good feeling. Yeah, that's always I, a need weird you to, I need you to suck at this so I can be better at what I'm. But in it, I noticed a lot of the students were having problems with just mental math, which I haven't gotten along with math since I was in fifth grade. We don't get along. We understand each other that way. It's fine. But my students <laughs> didn't either. And that was no bueno. So I came up with a little game. Because now I'm ingrained in the industry, right? Like I, I played Arkham for the first time. My neighbors brought me over. We played Arkham Second Edition. That hooked me. That was my modern board game experience, and it's been off the cliff since. So I came up with this little game about rolling dice. You had 30 seconds to solve an equation. It was like box plus box equals box. And one of those boxes was populated by a die. It was set in the Avengers universe. You're the Avengers, and you're trying to, if you remember Age of Ultron, you're trying to stop the bomb from going off. And mm -hmm. the Ultron bots were coming in trying to hit the bomb. So the bomb had 12 hits. Every time you didn't solve an equation, the bot would hit the, the bomb. And it went over well. It did its thing. So a convention I frequented before it became Dice Tower East uh, used to be Dice Tower Con. It was down in Orlando. It was a great location. A lot of what Patrick and that team did to give the people this certain experience for being at that convention where it felt like family and it felt like very easy to get into, even if you knew no one, which I didn't when I was going down there, I knew the two people I went with. A lot of what that convention does and a lot of what the gathering does in Niagara Falls is what I, I model QSCon after. And I remember the first time I was there, I was running registration and the people there were like, oh, I want to introduce you to somebody. Here's Richard Lanius. And Total fanboy. Arkham Second was my my <laughs> intro into board games, and now I'm standing in front of the co-designer of that game, which, fast forward, Kevin Wilson was the co-designer, and now I'm working with him on games with 3WS. So it's just totally bonkers. So I ran into him a couple times during the con. I got to play Arkham with him. He ran it. I rolled like absolute trash the entire time I played. I couldn't Role of success. He's making fun of me the whole time. I'm devastated. It was awful and awesome at the same time. <laughs> the next year, hey, Michael, he knows my name. So a couple years into it, I made this equations game I was telling you about. And I was like, hey, I made this game. Would you mind looking at it? He's like, yeah, no problem. And it was a Saturday. And I was at the library. 
and he was walking, talking to someone, no idea who it was. And he caught eyes with me and he stopped talking to the person and came over to me. He's like, Hey, you had that game you wanted me to look at. Let's go look at it. And I froze. I was like, Oh my God, he just asked me to play the game. Like I didn't think it was a real. So we sat down and I showed him the game and it took 30 seconds. And he's like, all right, let's play it again. And the next 30 seconds, he tried to break the game, which he did. And we talked about it. He's like, well, why wouldn't anybody do this thing every time? Like this, this is a thing. So he grabbed a piece of paper from my notebook and he wrote down this idea and he's talking about why he's writing it down. Like this could work this way and this is how this would work. And there'd be a central board and you're protecting the city and blah, blah, blah. And then he turned the paper around and pushed it back my way. And he's like, but those are just my ideas. If you want to use any of them, go ahead. And what felt like forever, I looked down and I looked back up and I'm like, would you make it with me? Yeah, I'll make it with you. Like, what? <laughs> wow. Like, <that's> <laughs> right. So the next two weeks was like phone calls and emails with Richard Lanius about this game where we had a working prototype ready to pitch like by Gen Con in uh, 2017. Like it was ready to go. It was unbelievable. So I, I mentioned it was Avengers. So we we made it as it was the battle for New York and the Chitauri were destroying the city. And he pitched it around. And I remember getting a phone call. And it still weirds me out when I see Richard Lanius on my phone. He's like, we have to talk. I pitched it to a company and we have an option. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> so at the time, Avengers license is tough, right? Everyone was making games. Certain people had certain licenses. But IDW played it. The team at IDW played it, not even the person that made the decisions. They found him afterwards and said, hey, I heard you have a game I need. Like, let's play it. And it's a four-act game. And the pitch was just really one act. And the guy was like, can we keep playing? And they played all four acts of the game. But they don't have the Avengers license. They had just signed Batman the Animated Series. And they were like, would you be interested in porting it over? Yeah. And that was the question. Yes, please. Was like, yeah, yeah. Are you kidding me? Like, yes. 100%. <laughs> and the port over was really good. Like, Captain America, one of his abilities was to throw the shield. And you hit, like, the highest villain at each battlefield. That's Batman's Batarang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The port over was really easy. And then to be able to play in what is arguably the best Batman universe to play in, yes. in the animated series. Is- yes. Arguably? I mean, Some people can argue. You we can argue, argue, all right, it's animated, it's not live action, so you can separate the two, but... I, I don't know that there's a better Batman universe, period, full stop. <laughs> I'll agree. <laughs> I think I can separate the live action from the animated. And I love Batman Beyond. Batman Beyond, I already have a game. Unfortunate that IDW collapsed because Mm. there's need to get Terry to the table. I think he needs to have his story in a board game form. Mm. So if anyone is listening to this and has any connections with Warner Brothers and wants uh, a game that's already made in Batman Beyond, I have it ready for you. I appreciate your faith in our show. Yeah, I'm just saying. You never know, right? (laughs) Yeah, so that happened. So I got my name on a box with Richard Lanius, and it still weirds me out that that's a thing. (laughs) But I also, so to take it another step further, I have an instruction book of the game I co-designed with Richard signed by Kevin Conroy. Cool. That a friend wow. of mine brought to the first QSCOM was like, I have a present for you. And I thought it was like some dumb caricature of like me as a meeple because that's that's what he would do. And if it was that, it would have been equally as funny. But somebody was going to a Comic-Con and they took his instruction book to the game and had Kevin sign it. So I have I, behind me on the show, on the full 42, you'll see it. It's a, And I brought it up on the show. It's the rule book for the game 
signed by Kevin Conroy and it says Batman underneath it. It's, it's one of my most favorite things. Wow. I would yeah. be framed, like vacuum sealed. <laughs> it should be. Right now it's just in a comic sleeve folded over, but it should be vacuum sealed. Yeah. I mean, Arkham Second Edition is on my kitchen table always. I made a foam core insert to hold all of the stuff for it. It's always on my table because I will play it. If you listen to the show, I don't bring it up on any of our top fives because it means that much to me. And it would, it would always be my number one game. It could be my number one dice rolling game and dice suck in that game, <laughs> but it would be my number one forever. Yeah. So to, to have my name on a box with Richard in the Batman animated world and to have an expansion, like just that whole experience and everything that that's come from it, right? Like QSCon from that experience, having the game, having the, the meet Chris with the full 42, like, it's just, it's weird. <laughs> it just is. Yeah. It's just, like everything happens for a reason, right? The people that you, you meet along the way and every little choice you've made or every little decision you've made along the way has led you to us being on episode 331 together, right? Like, yeah, it's just weird. It's good stuff. It's awesome, but it's weird. Well, I think um, I think we're out of time. That much I know for sure. <laughs> I was never concerned about getting, you know, making it to the end of the show. I, finding the end of the show. Finding, maybe, yes. Making it to the end of the show, I was never concerned about. I so, mean, if you want to keep going, I can keep going. <laughs> got to sleep sometime. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so we've got QSCon, Theater US, the Full 42. There's a lot of things that if people want to learn more, they should go to various places to find those things out. Where are those places? <laughs> I almost live in discord. Mm. Okay. So I have the QSCon discord, uh, the three WS discord, the game designers guild discord. I have an office there. Like one of the voice channels is Googs on tap. So my nickname is Googs because most people can't say my last name properly and Googs just stuck so now one of the voice channels on the Discord is Googs on Tap. And most of the time when I'm on Discord, I'll keep my little active button on, but I'll sit in my office. So I feel like when I'm working, that's where I am. But there's a Facebook for QSCon where it has a link to the QSCon Discord. And then from there, you, you'd be able to find me pretty easily. Um, if you follow 3WS, they also have uh, Facebook and links to the Discord. Uh, you can catch me there. I heard that QSCon has has an actual website now. QSCon has an actual website now. I wanted to reveal the website in conjunction with the reveal of the dates for QSCon because I was also like, we're growing, so I have a new location, and I wanted that to all be like one big kind of reveal moment. So I delayed the release of the dates until the website was ready. Jeremy started it. It was a joke at first. Someone was like, you should ask Jeremy to work on your website because he would do it. And if he does it, you're doing it for free. And if he doesn't, you're no better off than you are right now anyway. So I said, <laughs> someone said you should do it. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. Okay. So that started the ball rolling. And then Jessica came in and really fine-tuned what it is now. But if you go to QSCon.com, I guess that would be the easier way to do it. That'll link you to QSCon information on the on the convention. It'll give you information on the Game Designers Guild. I believe there's a link to, although they don't have the little icon on the bottom, there's links to Facebook, there's a link to Discord. You can find me all through there too. Yeah, it Sweet. looks like all the stuff is there. There you mm -hmm. go. Pretty official. It looks professional, yeah. It looks like I know what I'm doing. Or you have people or who you, know what they're Yeah, doing. you pay someone who knows what they're doing. They make it look like I know what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. Anisha, I think this is the part of the show where we talk about where people can find us. I suppose we could do that. You can find us on all kinds of social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. 
all the places at Family Gamers AA. You can also email us, Andrew at thefamilygamers.com. Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. By the way, don't forget, everybody, if you already know this, don't forget. And if you don't know this, you're about to find out. Next week's show is going to be a crowdsource show. So we are looking to the community to ask questions. These might be, you can ask us basically anything you want to. It doesn't really matter. You can ask us like what our favorite colors are, or maybe a (laughs) game recommendation for a specific situation or a specific scenario. Maybe you're buying a game for someone or whatever, whatever it might be. We want to answer your questions on next week's show. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email at FamilyGamersAA or Andrew at TheFamilyGamers.com or Anitra at TheFamilyGamers.com. We want your back talk. We won't take it from our kids, but we'll take it from you. You should have waited until we ended because now that I know that, you're so screwed. <laughs> oh, it's fine. <laughs> it's all good. I will it's do fine. the best I can. I will do the best I can. Um, Perfect. You can also leave any of those questions as a comment on the post we made in the Family Gamers Facebook community. Um, and the easiest way to get there is thefamilygamers.com slash community, which will bring you right over there. Or search for the Family Gamers on Facebook. You can check out our family gamers and play games with your kids merchandise. We've got t-shirts and hoodies and mugs and more at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. And I do look at the analytics and people are buying merch. Did you know that? I can't wait to see like family gamer stuff. I I was going to say in the wild, but going to a convention is not really the same thing as in the wild. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to see it. I don't really care. Whatever. So. see it on somebody who's not related to me that would be great yeah do you deliver said merchandise to uh maybe a city in central new york are you asking if you would <laughs> hand deliver yep <laughs> uh we can figure something out okay. we'll figure something out please don't forget to subscribe to the show whether you like it or not you should subscribe tell your friends about the show and leave us a review not just a rating but also a review at apple podcast or whatever your podcast subscription source is. You can find us on Amazon Music, on TuneIn, on Stitcher, on Spotify. You can ask your smart device to play the Family Gamers podcast, and it will probably come up. Probably. Yeah. Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Head over to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. Thank you guys for asking me to be on. It was great to see you both again. Um, Yes. This was awesome. Well, I think that's going to be it for us this week. So until next week, everybody, play play games games with your kids. kids.